This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 12, episode 46. This is Writing Excuses, reinventing yourself. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary. I'm Marianne. I'm Wesley. I reinvented myself. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Wow. I've been looking forward to doing this one all year because I Have think it really? is. Have you really? Yeah. I'm not going to do this the whole time. Okay. <laughs> well, if you were doing the mariachi band played by hamsters, then maybe you'd get a little. That's an inside joke. Go listen to a previous season. Uh, <laughs> um, so I'm really excited to have uh, Marianne on this podcast because I know you have re- reinvented yourself several times during your career. So, um, I mean, the short version is that when I started writing, I did poetry for a bit. Then I decided I probably couldn't make a living as a poet. Uh, started writing short stories, and I wrote erotica for about 10 years. I did... Um, my own work. I edited anthologies for Random House. I wrote Choose Your Own Adventure erotica books for Penguin. Um, I wait, what? Re- wait, wait, I'm <laughs> wait. sorry. Re- rewind. I did. They, 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 have... they, they couldn't call them Choose Your Own Adventure because it was trademarked. Right. So it was, I don't know, create Why? your own fantasy or something Had like that. Had that not been done before? That now, seems like a perfect It does. Mix. I thought yeah. it was really good. I, I enjoyed writing them. I wrote mm-hmm. two of them. Catherine in the City is about a young girl from Iowa who abandons her fiancé on the day of the wedding and runs off to San Francisco to have adventures. And then you choose which adventures she has, and huh. it's quite fun. You it's could like, end up, you know, in a lesbian commune, or, you know, there are many options for if you. If I were doing that one, she'd just end up with a nice job as an accountant? Well, <laughs> there, is, there is one option where she ends up in a nice interracial marriage, mm-hmm. and there's another where she—it's actually really fun when you write the Choose Your Adventures, because at the bottom of one, I could say, go back to the top of the page, and so— I had written one ending was an infinite orgy loop, right? So, um, it's like wow. Lone wolf okay, this is cool. But let's move let's on. Move on. <laughs> Continue with the. This, I blame Wes. He got me started <laughs> yeah. on this. So, but I so I wrote I wrote erotica for about ten years, and then I, I was kind of tapped out. I had said everything I wanted to say on the subject, and I was finding myself getting more interested in um, race and ethnicity, and I decided to start writing about Sri Lanka and the war and conflicts with my parents. And all of that ended up with me writing sort of like the Joy Luck Club, but with Sri Lankans, mother-daughter stories, um, which turned into Bodies in Motion, which, you know, came out from HarperCollins and was a um, kind of, you know, mainstream literary kind of book. And I did that for about 10 years. And then I turned 40, and I wanted to have fun, and I came back to my true love, my first love, science fiction and fantasy, which is what I've been writing for the last five years. So let me ask you this. How did you start that transition? Were they each conscious, or some of them just kind of of fell into it, or— how, well, how did this go about? I would say it was pretty conscious, and it, and and it's risky. I would say because, and I was really aware of that risk because I didn't know if whether my readers would follow me from one genre to the next, mm-hmm. and I think they mostly don't. And this is that the hazard of doing this kind of career is you end up with different groups of fans, most of whom are not overlapping, and it makes it hard to build a big career that way. 
Uh, Mary, you are in the process of slightly reinventing yourselves. I feel like you're trying very hard to say, wait, I don't just write Jane Austen with magic. I write, you know, short fiction. You've been very, very varied, very varied. (laughs) You've had a wide career of interesting, different stories. Um, But in novels, I feel like you're, like, stepping. Yeah, and this was, again, a very conscious choice. Um, When I was starting my, my novel career, uh, the, the books that I want to write are all over the map, map, much like my short fiction. And my agent and I had the conversation of whether we wanted to have me write a series, which was multiple books in, in a core area to try to build a, a solid audience uh, kind of center, or if I wanted to try the Tad Williams approach, which was every book was a totally different thing. And I felt like, given my interests and given what I like to read, that doing doing the several books in a series probably made more sense for me. But I really did not want to be pegged down as the uh, the Regency. Right, and there's nothing wrong with Regency. You love no, it. I love it, but I, I also know that 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 kind of thing does have a shelf life at a certain point, and, and also that there are certain things that keep reappearing. So even when I was writing the the glamorous histories, I was trying to prep my readers for the fact that I was going to write different things. Right. Each of the books in that series feel like a different genre. Yeah, and that's the thing that I did was I was using different genre structures for each of the novels while keeping the same set dressing. And so then, you know, Ghost Talkers is still historical. So you're st- I, I tried to, I did the thing that everyone tells you not to do, which is I read reviews. Ah, um, and some of this is coming out of my theater background that, that I find reviews very, very useful. Uh, five and four star reviews are people who are in, those are my, that is my target audience. Those are the people who loved what I wrote. And I want to know specifically why they loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, people who write one star reviews are just hilarious in the depths of their hatred. Um, and those I just read for comedy value. Uh, people who write three and two star reviews, they wanted me to be writing a different book. Right. That, those people I kind of don't care about. The four-star reviews are really, really helpful because those are the people that the book was almost perfect. And so those are the ones where I'm like, okay, that, that is the thing I need to keep. I need to watch out for this. Like, it's part of how I realized that my endings tend to be too fast. Mm. Okay. See, with my career, I, I made some very conscious choices at the beginning. I thought I didn't want to get stuck in one series. Mm-hmm. But I do have a general style that I'd like to do. And even when I've written science fiction or detective stories, you see the kind of goofy setting stuff that I do appearing in those. And so I wanted to train my readers early on that you can jump to a new book. You will still get the stuff that you love. It will have just a different, uh, a different setting to it. And that was a very conscious choice. And it was, it was actually market-wise. Uh, the publisher didn't love it. Uh, Elantris, my first book, uh, sold very well. And Mistborn, my second book, sold about 10 to 15% worse. Really? Uh, yeah, a lot of people don't realize <laughs> that. Um, it, it was because, and at least they told me at the time, you get a boost by being a first-time writer. Sure. You get a little extra attention uh, by having your first novel. And if the next thing isn't a sequel, a lot of people say, ah, you know, I'll read that 
in paperback, maybe, I'm not going to run out and buy it. They run out and buy sequels. And Mistborn then had a really terrible cover on the paperback. Mm -hmm. And it was the closest I came to losing my career right then uh, because they ordered, because it was the bookstore era before e-books, they ordered 15% less of Mistborn for the second Mistborn, Mm -hmm. expecting the same trajectory. Um, And so that jumping and not doing a sequel first uh, was was dangerous and risky. Now you can get into a death spiral. Yeah. The, the, yeah, the industry in general encourages series right now. They do, and I mean, like, I'm, I'm with you. Like, I have a general style that mm-hmm. I like to write, and when I, I mean, obviously, uh, the Lives of Tao is a very, you know, it's a light comedic thriller with aliens. And when I went to something serious like Time Salvager, which is you know like a more space opera, kind of dystopian, you know, somewhat depressing science fiction. I lost some readers that way because they were like, this isn't funny. Mm. I'm here for the funny and you're not giving it to me. Right. That, And so you have to be conscious about these things. But there is a benefit. I would say, Marianne, for you, I, if you'd had to keep writing the same thing, it oh. sounds like you would just have stopped being it a writer. Been terrible. I mean, yeah. it, you know, it's. I think you have to – this is an art, right? And you have to keep yourself fed as an artist. And it, that means you have to stay interested and engaged in the material. Right. And for me, I, I it's that same sort of sense. I did not want to get stuck in a big series. And I also didn't want all my eggs. I'd heard so many times from authors who I won't name where they complain. They're like, fans only want this one thing from me. Yeah. I'm so tired of writing that one thing, but I have to to pay the bills. And that scared me. Um, and so that was a conscious choice. And it's paid off for me. Um, I'm able to write in multiple different genres. Uh, I mean, they're all sci-fi fantasy, but subgenres and things like this in multiple different series, and they all kind of sell pretty well. I do. I wonder whether you need to have a certain level of success and talent to pull it off. And I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I had a conversation with Paolo Bacigalupi mm. about how he has written all these different books that I love, and they're really varied, right? And, you know, he's got his themes that he keeps circling around, around the ecological climate change issues, but Shipbreaker is so different from his other books. I mean, they're just varied. And he said that um, it was because Wind-Up Girl did so well that the publisher was sort of willing to give him the freedom to write these other books, right? And so I think you you do have to think about the market a little bit, too, and what you're, you're in a negotiation with... I will other be the people. first to admit I was I am super fortunate in this, and it yeah. has not gone as well for other authors who tried the same thing. And, and there are guys like 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 Jim Butcher's Dresden Files, where I mean he's got what fifteen books, and they're fantastic. I mean they're, 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 the readers keep coming back for him, and he's happy to keep you know keep writing more of these books, and th- that works for him. Yeah, I but, can't. I'm oh, sorry, Mary. <laughs> it's okay, but he, but he has a fantasy series that he, he actually loves, uh, uh, epic fantasy, secondary world fantasy that he actually loves more. He does. It does, and I've read it, and it's quite good. Um, so, yeah. It's kind of interesting looking at authors like Laurel K. Hamilton, right? Because if you—I don't know whether you guys have read her stuff, but she has this series of books that did super well, very popular. She's been coming out in hardcover for quite a while to great sales. But the books themselves, like, went downhill. Um, they, she kind of lost track of the plot and was just sort of indulging herself, I think— and then she, there came a point where she sort of started over with a new series, similar, and that had a great energy, and it was going for a while, and then that kind of ended up in the same place. Mm. And I feel bad as a fan because I do keep buying and consuming 
the series, both series, even though they've kind of gone notably downhill, I feel like I'm enabling her. <laughs> and I'm, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm making it possible for her to not do what she really wants to do. I mean, authors get bored. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this was why I capped, I, when I started The Glamorous Histories, I'm like, I'm writing five books and then I'm stopping because as a reader, I fatigue. And I, I also felt like there's a limit to how far you can ratchet up things with your main characters before they've just got to be walking bundles of PTSD. I, I also want to call attention to, to something that a lot of these choices that we're talking about are choices that you make after you become a published author. Yes. Mm-hmm. And and it's a different thing when you're an early career writer. To a certain degree, this conversation that we're having, these are conversations that we have with our agents and with our editors about what they think is going to be saleable. So that, that thing that Marianne was saying about you have to think about the market, yes, but you don't have to think about the market. You have to have a conversation with someone whose job it is to think about the market. And I think – uh, Dan would want me to point out his story where he thought he was an epic fantasy writer. He'd always read epic fantasy, and he tried a horror novel. I'm sorry, which Dan is this? Dan Wells, uh, our, our podcaster who's um, normally here, but he's in Utah right now. We're recording in Chicago. Um, and Dan tried multiple epic fantasy stories and then on a whim tried a horror story and fell absolutely head over heels in love. He'd always loved horror films. He'd not read a lot of horror books. And when he found his niche here, um, you know, he reinvented himself before he became a published writer. And that's the book that sold. Well, this is why I love teaching intro-level creative writing classes because I can, you know, talk the students into trying many different things. And that's really a great space to play. And I think writers will often fall into ruts unless they're prodded. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I, so, need, to, so, I need to cut us here because we're going to do the book of the week. Okay. Um, and I'm going to pitch that at you, Wesley. Okay, so I have a book coming out. So I am co-writing a book called The Lost Book of the White with Cassandra Clare. It is based in her Shadowhunters universe and follows uh, everybody's favorite Gaijin warlock, Magnus Bane. And and speaking of kind of reinventing yourself, um, I I am known as a science fiction thriller author. 
And in this book, uh, we are writing about Magnus Bane while he is on vacation with his boyfriend, Alec Lightwood, the Shadow Hunter. <laughs> um, and it is happening, it, it is an interquell which is happening in the first half of the fourth book of our main series, The Cities of Fallen Angel. And I believe it's out November 17th. And could people read that independently if they haven't gotten into the series yet? Uh, it, 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 is her fir- it, it is our first adult novel in that world. Mm-hmm. And I think you can. Okay. Um, obviously, if you, I mean, she has 12 books in her universe right now. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of history behind it, um, spending hundreds of years. But it's set up in a way that it can be read independently. Okay, excellent. I need to veer us toward another topic because we only got a few minutes left for the podcast. I want to veer us toward... How do you keep learning as a writer? So I wanted to actually kind of go back to this. um, Like I said, I I was a science fiction fantasy thriller writer before. And I I famously have like avoided like like sex scenes and and Mm -hmm. making out and like just like getting too deep into that. And with this book, I've had to just go like like head first into kind of not only reading some erotica and, and kind of like really like figuring how, how romance, the, the structure of romance novels and erotica novels work. And it's one of the best ways to grow. I've, I've grown so much as a writer just because I've had to kind of focus on something else. I was actually on a panel with Nalo Hopkinson at WISCON, and we were talking about this. And I, you know, and Nalo was like, oh, I could never write a sex scene. I could never do that. And then the next year, we were on a panel again. And she was like, Marianne, I went off and I wrote a sex scene. <laughs> you know, and it was this, like, you can learn. I can learn to l- write fight scenes. I had to study it. But I could, you know, like, I can learn how to do that. You can... Like my favorite beta note from like when I was you know copy um, when I was betaing this this the lost book of the Y is somebody go my beta copy editor says this is surprisingly a great sex scene and I'm like that was the nicest thing as anyone has ever told me <laughs> and and who helped you learn to write them uh, so when I first got this assignment I was freaking out a little bit because you know I fade to black okay I was one of those <laughs> yeah. fade to black kind of guys and um so um, Dana Gabaldon kind of like gave me some advice, and she sent me her How to Write Sex book, which is a gr- fantastic book, and it uses the scenes from The Outlander as, as examples. And I read the book, and then she, you know, she, she's like, you know, she look up what yaoi is, which is um, Japanese gay anime porn meant for straight women. So the thing that, before we go too, too far down the specifics of this, the thing that, that I, I want to point out that we're, we're going to be talking about a lot here is that when you're trying to reinvent yourself, when you're trying to go into a, a new genre, um, you do two things. One is that you, you talk to someone who has experience writing that. And the other is that you spend a lot of time interrogating text that is written in that new genre. Like when I had to do Valor and Vanity, which is, uh, I had to, I got to do Valor and Vanity, which is a heist novel disguised as a Regency romance. I watched so many heist films Mm -hmm. and made a note of what are the consistent plot devices that I see. I sat down and I talked to to Dan, who who loves heist. Um, I talked to Scott Lynch, who loves heist and and writes fantasy heist really, really well. So it's this combination of things where you can't just say, I think I'm going to write something new. You actually have to put the work in. But it's so much it's fun, fun to so learn much fun. something new. It is, and it, it, it's often uncomfortable too. Yeah, mm. yeah, absolutely. It, it is. Uh, I mean, even with the heist things, but all sorts of things, and that's that. I think is one of the for me the 
the thing that I say, kind of my driving goal is as a writer, I want to be better tomorrow than I am today. And I want to be better today than I was yesterday, which means always, and this is the thing that's uncomfortable, looking at my writing to learn what my weak spots are. And and it's very easy for us to go, oh, my writing sucks. But I'm like, that is not helpful. What is it? Like, be specific. What is it about my writing that is weak? And how do I correct that weakness? Like, my endings tend to be too fast. What What is it? So I've identified that. What are the steps that I can take to make them, you know, not just, oh, this ending is longer, but more satisfying? I was recently showing some non-writer friends of mine and my sisters some critique notes that I'd gotten on this recent novel that I was working on. And they were like, oh, my God, they're so mean. How do you, you know, you should, like— yell at them or something. And I, and like, it, it had, I had not even noticed. I was like, they're not mean. They're just being honest. And, you know, like, this is part of the job, right? Like, you take the criticism and you think about it and you learn from it. Um, I'm, I wanted to call out one thing, which is that it's not just that you want to read the work that is um, in the area that you're trying to move into, but you need to read it as a writer. So, like, right now I'm rereading Game of Thrones. I The first time through, I just read as a reader and I enjoyed it. Now that I'm trying to write epic work, I am looking at the structure and I'm like, how did George do this? What what choices did he make? I mean, I always say if, if you get too comfortable with your own writing, then are, are, you got to ask yourself if you're still improving. You know, I, I always say that every book I'm writing— is the hardest book I've, I've ever worked on. Okay. And that's because I'm assume, I'm hoping that I'm getting better and I'm trying new things. And because I'm trying new things, I'm always uncomfortable. Well, I'm going to call it here. Uh, this is something that I think all of us do even before we get published. It's something to be thinking about. We always all want to be better. I think what Mary said is that we want to be better writers each day after another. And reading outside our genre, that's going to help so much. And you might find something that you really, really love. Marianne, you have um, some homework for us. Yeah, so this is continuing with uh, what Brandon was saying. What I do when I'm switching genres is I go and immerse myself in the genre because often it's been a while since I've had time to read a lot of it. So I would go, decide, you know, I'm going to try fantasy, science fiction, horror, whatever it is, um, find a year's best anthology and from, and a recent one because things change over time and just read through it. That's going to give you a huge variety. Or if you're not a short story person, then go to the award winners from the previous year, the Nebula Awards, the Bram Stoker Awards, whatever it is, and read the nominees for best novel. Excellent. Well, this has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production. Jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. 
Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus. Locus. 